healthcare is such a core part of what medicine is. I don't think you can do any kind of medicine without paying attention to the humanity and the meaning of the person that you're working with. This is Meaningful Medicine. In a challenging and unpredictable world with high burnout rates, this is a podcast where incredible individuals share their most meaningful patient experiences and focus on those moments of positivity and joy that sparked their love of healthcare and changed the way they practice medicine. Hi, I'm Nicole Hohenstein, and I'm an emergency medicine resident at UCSF. Hi, I'm Shiva Kayambashi. I'm a doctor and professor of family and community medicine at UCSF. We're the co-hosts of Meaningful Medicine, We created this podcast to highlight stories of healthcare professionals who have found a sense of meaning, resilience, and joy in their work. Hi, Shiva. How are you doing? Hi, Nicole. I am doing really well today. I I must say I'm very excited about our guest today, somebody that I've admired from many, many years back since I first met him and watched him give a talk in palliative care. And I'm really excited to get to talk with Dr. Mike Rabo today and you about palliative care. Yes, I'm so excited for this topic. Personally, I was lucky enough to, as a medical student, rotate through the cancer unit, the oncology unit, and palliative care is oftentimes utilized and works along with the cancer doctors. And I was always amazed by how they took the time to not only think about, you know, what they were going to discuss for these team meetings, family meetings, but really how to create an environment that was conducive and very open and caring and really thoughtful. So oftentimes they would find a quiet space in the hospital where there was some light, you know, it wasn't too bright and there'd be a tissue box available if needed. And everyone who entered that room would turn off their phones. Now, Working in medicine, this doesn't often happen where we're paged all the time, we get phone calls, but just really having that rule of respect, knowing that you are entering something that was of the utmost importance and really putting down the technology and really being present created the environment that everyone was just open and ready to support the family, create healing through just discussions And it was really beautiful to watch. And I remember learning a lot from those discussions. I love hearing you share that. It's very special. And I remember one of the first times I experienced a palliative care team helping me with caring for a patient at San Francisco General, very similar as you, like just feeling so supported myself as the attending physician and my team of residents in helping us care for this patient and family in a much better way where we had sort of met our limits. And really, we knew that another team that's so specialized, where the whole of that clinician in their mind and heart and spirit meets the wholeness of that patient and and their family. And just in the way of communication, in the way of kindness, in the way of support, in the way of knowledge and experience about what things might help to support the comfort and healing of this patient and family. And I would say also the team, because I really have always felt so supported as a partnering clinicians on the team. So I just think it's it's really what all of medicine should be about. It should be based in the same principles that I think palliative care doctors know best. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Rabo. He is the Helen Diller Family Chair in Palliative Care and a professor of clinical medicine and urology. 
at UCSF, and he's also the Associate Chief of Education and Mentoring in the Division of Palliative Medicine at UCSF. Dr. Rabel completed a medical education research fellowship at UCSF, and he's also board certified in internal medicine and hospice and palliative care. Among the many hats he wears, Dr. Rabo directs a leading outpatient palliative care program, the Symptom Management Service at UCSF Helen Diller Family Comprehensive Cancer Center. It is one of the largest cancer palliative care programs in the nation and currently provides outpatient palliative care co-management across three campuses at UCSF. And lastly, Dr. Rabo is the founding director of the MERI, M-E-R-I, Center for Education in Palliative Care at UCSF. We are so thrilled to have him today. He's also a very beloved faculty teacher and leader of the Healer's Art course at UCSF. We are so happy to have you here. Welcome, Dr. Rabo. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that super kind introduction as well. We are so excited to have you. Welcome to the podcast. We like to start out each episode by asking our guests to, in short, share a meaningful moment from early on in your training that was particularly impactful or was a formative experience. When I was a third year resident, internal medicine resident, I was on call in the hospital and got a call from one of the nurses on one of the medical floors, three in the morning, I think it was, to go see a patient who was getting set up for a colonoscopy the next morning and the patient was in a lot of distress. So I went to go see him. It was, I walked into the room and the scene was a hospital bed with a man, middle-aged man sitting on the edge of his bed with his, his face in his hands and his elbows on his knees, staring at a bottle of go lightly preparation for his colonoscopy. And he was super distressed about, the prep for the colonoscopy, and ultimately he was super distressed about the ultimate disease that they were trying to evaluate. And he was suffering. He was deeply scared, deeply uncomfortable and suffering. And and it was really that moment that I realized that the suffering of my patients is what really, really connected me to this work. felt like the thing that I was going to do, that I was going to be able to do. Uh, with my career kind of most effectively and in the most satisfying way for me as well. It was just the thing that I that I cared about uh, much more than the technical you know, aspects of doing a colonoscopy or GI surgery or diagnosing what he ended up having, which, uh, which was a, a cancer. Yeah. So that was, that was really the beginning for me of the idea about what it was that called to do or able to do or interested in doing in medicine. Thank you so much for sharing that as an early and very important experience, Dr. Rabo. For our audience, could you start us off by defining what palliative care is? Absolutely. I actually really love the definition that you guys gave right at the top of the show, this idea of creating safe space for people. I ultimately think that that's what palliative care is all about, is creating the space for people to experience the serious and often sad things that are going on in their life. And beyond that, everything else, I think, really falls into place pretty pretty beautifully. The formal definition for palliative care, in my mind, is care, health care that's focused on quality of life. So improving, maintaining or improving the quality of life, regardless of other goals of care that someone might be pursuing. So someone might be pursuing cure of their disease or management of their disease itself. 
And that's not inconsistent with palliative care. You can do palliative care simultaneously with other goals, which is just to say that you include a focus on quality of life. And usually by quality of life, we break that down often into symptom management. So taking care of the distress that people are feeling either physically, emotionally, spiritually, or socially. So symptom management, symptoms really broadly define anything that's bothering the patient. And then I think the other big component is advanced care planning or really thinking about what care is in line with what matters to the person, to the patient. So really making sure that we can align care with people's wishes. I think both of those are big parts of it. One of the sort of founders of palliative care in the United States, Ira Bayak, used to say that symptom management is our immediate concern, but not our ultimate goal. And that ultimately we're really wanting to create the space for people to experience and potentially transform within the context of meaningful events, of life-changing events, of life-ending events, of all the ways that healthcare really brings seriousness as well as illness to people's lives. so much for that beautiful definition. I especially love, I think quality of life is one of those, a lot of people listen to that and say, oh yeah, like people just want to like live longer and, you know, have a good life. But really, I love that you define really what the goals are and how you can create a care plan specifically for what those goals are and individualize it for each patient. And I know you mentioned a little bit about how your journey in palliative care was sparked, but can you tell us more about how you decided to become a palliative care physician? The the next real step for me was um, actually doing a fellowship, pretty informal fellowship as fellowships go these days, where essentially I hung out with my mentor, Steve McPhee, who's a, a UCSF physician who's now a emeritus professor. For many hours a week, we basically just read and wrote about compassion and empathy and kind of the nature of the clinician-patient relationship. So it was really thinking about compassion and where compassion existed and where it was being attended to that led me to palliative care. Because at that time, it wasn't actually called palliative care. It was end-of-life care. We were really focused on patients who were dying, not necessarily just facing serious illness. And as we've already started to talk about in the relationship with palliative care and patients, there really is an invitation to pay attention to people's lived experiences and the depth of their interaction and their relationship with each other. So that's where compassion was being attended to, where it was being insisted on, and who was really focused on it was the field of end-of-life care, which eventually became a broader concept of palliative care. For me, that fellowship in compassion and empathy led to doing some research and program development in palliative care or in end-of-life care. And then that sort of grew over the years into you know the, the career I've had focused on palliative care and symptom management and especially outpatient palliative care. Thank you so much for sharing. That is very fascinating. I haven't heard of a fellowship where you get to sit in a room and research what compassion in medicine looks like. That just sounds so fascinating and very on par with what our podcast is all about. Can you tell us more about what you learned when researching compassion in medicine? I guess the first thing I would say is I think that that kind of fellowship is not easily available (laughs) these days. It was not ACGME 
qualified as a fellowship. It was really just me being willing to spend a bunch of time sitting and thinking and writing and talking with a really thoughtful person who had studied philosophy in college. And so we read a lot of philosophy. We read a lot of poetry. In some ways, to really understand the expression, there but for the grace of God go I, and whether or not that is really true or or whether the expression is actually more correct to say, there go I. So that it's not just you watching another person doing something. It's not sort of having sympathy for someone, feeling sad for someone, but really the depths of empathy of really experiencing what the other person is experiencing because we're not so separate as it might look when we watch people walking around the world. We're really all part of the planet of of various communities of each other and each other's families. And so it was really an effort to try to understand how it is that clinicians can do this work, which is admittedly deeply meaningful, but also emotional and taxing in, in many ways, but how they can do it in a sustainable way without unnecessarily distancing or objectifying the human relationship that's going on. I, I think the image for me as an outpatient provider, I keep remembering that palliative care and that the clinician-patient relationship is about two people in a room. I have a clinic room and it's often just me and another person sitting in a room together. And we are just at this really incredibly unique opportunity where we're in the same place in the massive universe that we live in at the same time in the infinity of past and present. Like here it is, this sort of what starts to feel like a very sacred moment of two people actually connecting in time and space. That's what I think is sort of the the core of what palliative care builds on. A lot of medical students, I don't think just, you know, certainly it's not a UCSF thing, it's across the country and the world are feeling that tension between their ideals and their values about love and care and compassion and presence with the realities of, you know, for lack of a better word, the real world. I wish everyone could be trained in palliative care because to me, that's kind of an answer is that this is how medicine can feel satisfying to ourselves as clinicians, as well as, you know, really high quality to our patients. And I'm curious if that comes up for you or how that yeah, how you've experienced that in teaching. Yeah, I mean, too, I think it's a really important point in what, you know, you could call the the bad old days or the good old days, depending on your perspective. Palliative care was medicine. That's all we knew. We didn't have treatment for disease. We had the ability to try to offer comfort to those who were suffering. And so in some ways, palliative care is really like medicine OG, you know, it's like what we had. It, hospitals were hospices right? It was where we could try and use what we knew, what little knowledge we had, what little treatments we had to try and relieve suffering without, from this perspective, without the distraction of the miracle of modern healthcare, where we can do amazing things. And I absolutely, a thousand percent in support of all the amazing medical advances to be able to treat disease. At the same time, we need to have it be both and. It's not an either or. It's quite clear that our goal is not to live as long as possible, but have the worst quality of life. 
the goal is to have the highest quality of life possible for as long as we possibly can. And that's exactly what palliative care really supports and tries to do. So in many ways, it is true that I think a lot of trainees in particular end up thinking, feeling that palliative care is the work that they came to medicine or nursing to do. And I think that that's because palliative care is such a core part of what medicine is. I don't think you can do any kind of medicine without paying attention to the humanity and the meaning of the person that you're working with. There's very few technical elements of medicine that ultimately humans are going to be doing. What humans are going to be doing in medicine is connecting as people, being in the room together, holding a hand, giving voice to things that are difficult. I often say there's no reason for me to be trying to remember things that are on my iPhone, right? Like my iPhone is way better at that. Thinking about what it is that's unique about us that we have to offer, I think is what serves a lot of clinicians who do palliative care. And I think that every clinician needs to find the place in the work that they're doing that means something to them, that is meaningful to them. That's ultimately, I think, the only thing that's going to sustain. It's hard to sustain with something smaller than the sacred. It's hard to sustain with something smaller than what means the most to you. When you were sharing about the origin of palliative care was actually end-of-life care, a lot of people in medicine still think of end-of-life care as palliative care. And there was a study published by Tabor and colleagues in 2019 that identified barriers to the use of palliative care. And what they found was that the major barriers were inaccurate knowledge or negative beliefs among the general population about palliative care. A cross-sectional health information national trends survey in 2018 found that even respondents who had greater awareness of palliative care were still equally likely to confuse it with hospice care. And they believe that starting palliative care means stopping all other care and treatments as though it is palliative care equates to end-of-life care and stopping. So these findings suggest that there really is a need to improve understanding and attitudes about palliative care and what it is. And we're wondering, Dr. Rabo, if you could tell us what you wish our listeners would know and understand about palliative care, and if you could also explain how hospice and palliative care relate and differ. It's a huge, huge marketing issue that we have in palliative care, right? I mean, we just don't have a term that people understand. We know that most people don't understand it. Most clinicians, most physicians don't understand what palliative care is. And, you know, interestingly, when, when the field first started, it was really around end-of-life care in the 1990s in the setting of a big study called the support trial that tried to improve care for people in the ICU at the end of life. And even though they put millions and millions of dollars into it, it was a negative study. They weren't able to show improvements in care. And so to their credit, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation that had funded the support trial put more money into the issue and said, okay, let's try and fund a lot of small projects and see if we can start to figure out what can be helpful. But what we ended up learning was as much as we'd like to suggest to the public that you can have a good death, no amount of advertising gets people to sign up for a good death. I think we realized we shouldn't be advertising good deaths. But even so, Thinking about palliative care, you know, defined as the relief of suffering is not enough. 
because we know that patients, people don't know what palliative care is and conflate it with hospice, which is, you know, well known by essentially everyone or most people in the United States. It would be really nice if we could figure out a better term. I'm not quite sure, though, that that would be enough because anything that people get a whiff of having to do with death is something that we tend to steer away from, right? We're a death-denying or death-avoiding society, making it almost impossible for palliative care to sort of exist in a positive space. If I could have one thing for people to understand, to be able to distinguish between hospice and palliative care is to really think about this as a Venn diagram where the biggest circle is palliative care, care focused on quality of life. And within that circle are other little circles. And one of those little circles is care specifically for the subset of people who are at the end of life. And we typically define the end of life as someone who is within six months or so of being dead. Hospice care is great care for people who are dying. Palliative care is a larger concept of care focused on quality of life without being limited by other goals of care. With hospice, you do need to give up any attempts to try and reverse disease or cure disease. So hospice care is a surrendering to the reality of end blood care. But palliative care is not. Without his permission, I often talk about my own son. He was a little baby boy who got circumcised in the hospital and he got anesthesia for that. He got some pain relief for that procedure. That was palliative care. So everyone can get palliative care and should be throughout. You should not be making an either or decision between quantity and quality. As a matter of fact, the big research study came out in 2010, the Temel study, that showed that people who got simultaneous cancer care for non-small cell lung cancer at Harvard and then added palliative care to that early and integrated with their cancer care, those patients ended up having less depression, higher quality of life, and lived longer. So it really, really struck down this idea that there's an either or, that you have to either do hospice care or curative care. In fact, palliative care really holds the space for people to live as well as they can for as long as they can and not have it be either or like hospice is. We don't need to define people as dying to offer compassion, care, attention to all of the elements of them as, as people to offer palliative care. What scenarios should physicians or patients be thinking about integrating palliative care into the management of patients? Paying attention to the opportunity to maintain or improve quality of life is really the scenarios where palliative care is relevant. So I think of it in a few different ways. So one, in terms of symptoms. So people who have super complex, difficult to treat symptoms should really be thinking about getting specialty palliative care involved to help manage those symptoms. Or if symptoms aren't actually that complex, but they're just not being managed, that'd be another reason to bring in a team of palliative care folks to help. So I think symptoms, so pain, but also depression, also spiritual distress. Number two, I think about what matters most. For a lot of our patients, we can assume, oh yeah, they don't want to have this disease. They'd like to be cured of it. They'd like me to treat it. But that's not always true. There are people who don't think that the treatment is going to be better than the cure. And 
to a certain extent, there's a lot of treatments and we're going to look back on a lot of treatments and say, my God, I can't believe we used to do that to people because the treatments are so burdensome. So in a situation where the goal of care is not clear, if the goal is unclear to clinicians, but especially if the goal is unclear to patients, I think that's a time to really bring in the specialty of palliative care. And I think we have relatively good evidence that palliative care specialists people with communication training around serious illness are maybe the people who do those communication encounters the best. The data suggests that patients and families ultimately need to have these conversations and that they want to have these conversations and they make different decisions based on these conversations, but they want and expect their doctor to bring it up. So this is something that people view as incredibly important but really view it as the responsibility of their healthcare team to guide them through it. And so we can't just wait for people to say, hey, doc, should I be thinking about the end of my life? Even in cure, even in long-term remission, even in survivorship, even in well-managed chronic disease, there are still such fundamental issues about being human and facing the future even ultimately concerns about mortality, that healthcare is an important place to talk about these. To add to that, just to build on that, when a team, either the clinical team in the hospital or in an outpatient clinic consults or involves palliative care, who are the interdisciplinary team members of a palliative care consultation? Interdisciplinary teamwork is absolutely core to palliative care because we're really trying to be comprehensive in understanding and supporting the patient. And there's just areas of focus that different disciplines have that really work together well. The core elements of palliative care include nursing, social work, chaplaincy, and physicians. I think in addition to that, there's a number of other folks um, that can be particularly helpful in particular situations. Um, Nutritionists are important, rehab specialists, psychologists, pharmacists, And then increasingly these days, there's something called end-of-life doulas that are actually supplementing the work of hospice to take care of people at the end of life. I think that there are just so many ways that people can feel healed, but at the core, nursing, social work, chaplaincy, and physicians are what make up the palliative care team. I was hoping you could share what is your greatest joy about your work, and is there a meaningful patient interaction that you'd be willing to share? My greatest joy is really, and privilege is probably a better word for it, is the privilege of getting to watch people be heroes. Sort of hero defined as someone who's facing their greatest fear. One of the things you know is that the people in the emergency department would rather be literally anywhere else in the world other than there, right? Like If they're before you in an in an emergency department or hospitalized, it's because something so powerful kept them from doing everything else they had on their list to do that day. That's what people are up against with illness. I think that what I see, what I can bear witness to as a palliative care clinician is getting to see people respond to that reality with generosity, with kindness, with grace, As a palliative care doc, I had all sorts of conversations with people during the the worst days of COVID, where when I asked them what their goals of care were, in case they had more difficulty breathing, they said, oh, don't waste a machine on me, right? They had so much grace in that moment that they 
they said, you know, I've lived a good life. Give the ventilator to, you know, some young person who has their whole life in front of them. You know, that kind of humanity is what I feel like I have the amazing privilege to witness a lot of the time. In terms of a, an interaction, I can certainly share one that I had recently, which was with a patient who I met years before, about three or four years before he died. And he was part of a study that we were doing. Part of the study was assigning him to palliative care. And when I first uh, showed up to him and his wife in the cancer center, he said he had no interest whatsoever in, in seeing me. And I said, that's okay. But his wife is pretty insistent that he continue on. And we continued to see each other. He ended up having stage four prostate cancer and stage four non-small cell lung cancer and did really well for a long time on targeted treatment. But then he started to get really sick. We talked together and he decided he didn't want to continue with cancer treatment. And I thought that he was likely to die relatively soon. And because he lived just like two blocks from my house, I started to see him at the end of my day. I would just pop over to his place thinking it was going to be a couple of visits before he died. And it turns out that he ended up living for more than a year. So I ended up <laughs> going to see him every week or two for a full year and just developed such an amazing opportunity to, to witness his spiritual growth at the end of his life, as well as that of his partner. And just to watch the two of them was a real, was a real honor. This patient and I often would debate about who was getting the better deal, him or me, in terms of what we were learning from each other. And it was really quite extraordinary. He, he set out to, in his words, grow up before I die. He said, I want to grow up before I die. And by that, he meant he wanted to, to do the things he had set out to do emotionally and personally and interpersonally in his life. He wanted to sort of repair broken relationships and he wanted to deepen healthy relationships and he wanted to grow spiritually in the time that he had. And he did and in a really profound way that touched me, but, but everyone who came into contact with him. I can imagine that working with patients who are suffering and or who are at their end of life can be emotional and painful and also stressful. I would love to ask how you deal with these types of daily stressors and how you take care of yourself. We often will say to family caregivers, you know, you have to take care of yourself so you can be around to be of service to your loved one. And the same is true for clinicians and healthcare systems, right? Like if we're all burnt out, we're of no use to anybody for sure. I think an important part of all of this is how one conceives of their relationship to suffering. And so the question is not whether or not we should have suffering in the world. The question is, what's my relationship to it? Whether or not I do this work, the suffering is going to be there. Another way I think about it sometimes is if there's a chair that that's broken, but still standing up, and I sit on it and it splinters into a million pieces, I didn't really break the chair. I just made the brokenness manifest. And I think that that making of the brokenness manifest is a lot of what we do. We just give a space for it, for people to recognize what's broken or lost or under threat of loss in their lives. I feel very differently about doing this work, knowing that I'm not, you know, creating or destroying suffering. Suffering exists. The question is what my relationship to it is. And I think my life would be less if I was sitting in a different kind of office doing different kind of work while well, all that suffering went on in the world. 
I really feel like it's important for me to be in a relationship to suffering where I at least am trying to bear witness to people who are experiencing it and trying to help ameliorate it if I can. I do think that self-care is super important. It's vitally important. We have the good data to say that palliative care clinicians are not super people who don't burn out. I think that palliative care burns out as much as anybody else does. But I think palliative care may be a little bit more attentive now to this issue of working in a sustainable way and providing self-care. And I think one of the things that is really important is recognizing what's going on in the world, what's going on in our world, what's going on with our patients. So if our patients die, we don't pretend like they didn't. We really pay attention to the significance, the meaning of patient deaths. So we have memorial services. I personally write down the names of every patient I've ever cared for who's died. We talk with each other about the deaths. So I think that's one thing. Rachel Remen always talks about it's impossible to cross the river of loss without getting wet. If you're going to deal with suffering and loss, it's going to affect you. And it will, as we often say, break your heart. But but that's a heart broken open, which is realistic. That's how hearts in the emotional world are. I think for, for me, self-care is partly about sort of leaning into the reality of the losses. Yeah. And not pretending like they didn't happen, not pretending like it was a good day, but really, really recognizing the loss, dealing with the loss, processing the loss. And then I think there's other things that are really important. So I love people in palliative care. So I like the people I work with. I think that's really important. I love my family and I like hanging out with them as much as possible. So I think that having boundaries about the number of hours that you work is really, really important because I think we need both. I think we need to do meaningful work and I think we need to have meaningful, deep personal relationships as well. And then I have to say, for me in particular, there are two things that I really conceive of as my own self-care. One is since the pandemic started, I've had the occasion to walk my dog for two hours every day. <laughs> All the time I used to spend commuting, I now walk my dog. And there's something about the what everyone who has a dog, I think, experiences the unconditional love, the deep, deep love of this other being that helps heal me, for sure. I'm into photography and macro photography, sort of close-up photography. And I tend to find that if I zoom in enough on something, I can find beauty in it. And I think that that's probably somewhat analogous to palliative care in general. Like if I really pay attention deeply enough to this person before me, they are then a person and not their disease and not their suffering and not their irritability or whatever else is getting in the way of me sort of seeing what's beautiful about them. We've just enjoyed so much having this conversation with you, Dr. Rabo. And But in closing for today's conversation, could you share what advice you might have for students or residents? You know, as we were talking about, there's always going to be suffering in the world. So there's always going to be a role for palliative care. And I think the revolutions that will happen in healthcare are going to happen because of demand from consumers, from people, from baby boomers in particular, I think. You know, I think it's really important to explore. The other advice that I give to everyone, the thing that I learned in palliative care, and this applies for decisions about specialty, about career, about whether or not you're going to head home or head to a movie or whatever you're going to do, is just to remember in life that it's later than you think. It's later than you think. I don't have a single patient who wished they had worked more, right? They all 
we all wish we had loved more or been loved more or something like that. If your time was shorter than you think, this is a classic palliative care question. What would be important to you? If your time was shorter than you think, what would be important for you to do right now? And very, very few people don't have an answer in their mind or in their heart that's really important. You know, I would travel to New York. I would stop going to work. (laughs) I would finally write that letter I was planning on writing. I would finally publish that book, you know. It's later than you think is true for all of us. Our lives are so short, so preciously short, that even when a super old person who had a wonderful life dies, I think it comes as a shock and a surprise because it's always later than we think. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for inspiring us. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate what you both are doing. Thank you, Dr. Rebo. Really loved this conversation. Thank you for tuning in today and allowing us to be one of your meaningful moments. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and share with friends, family, and colleagues. Meaningful Medicine was produced by Shiva Kayambashi, Nicole Hohenstein, David Elkin, Nikki Elkin, Aheli Chattopadhyay, and Leigh Kodama. Editing by Nicole Hohenstein, Nikki Elkin, and Leigh Kodama. Intro and closing by Daniel Wentling. On Meaningful Medicine, we are careful to ensure that all stories are compliant with healthcare privacy laws and details may have been changed to ensure patient confidentiality. All views expressed are of the person speaking and not their employer.